The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, markets resuming their rally and closing well in the green as we count down to the end of the quarter. But it hasn't been a straight upline for stocks, so could this be the ultimate market for trading? We'll debate. Plus, brokerage blues, Charles Schwab, big loser this month, down nearly 33%. Morgan Stanley today hitting them with a downgrade on fears more cash could be heading out the door and billions of unrealized losses are on the books. But could there be more than meets the eye on this Wall Street call? And later, magical move for Apple by one top media analyst thinks the tech giant should buy Disney. We'll go inside that report and do a little corporate matchmaking of our own. I'm Sarah Eisen. In tonight for Melissa Lee, this is Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site. Full house tonight on the desk. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we are going to start with stocks stretching to the finish of the quarter with another day of gains. NASDAQ again leads the way, closing above the 12,000 mark. First time we've seen that in six weeks. S&P 500 and the Dow also inching higher, with the industrials now less than 1% from going positive on the year. And take a look at the NASDAQ 100, posting its best close of 2023, and now at its highest level since back in August. Big tech helping those gains, Na those gains. Names like Nvidia, Meta, Tesla, all up more than 50% each. But should you be trading this rally or fading it into the close of the quarter? Tim. Well, I think you should be trading it. And, and I've said on this show a few times, these guys are probably tired of hearing, I think this is the greatest trading market we've ever had. And I mean the last 15 months. And, I, and a lot of this, it, you remove the Fed, suddenly you've removed that squelch. Remember the, the, the ham radio yeah, and the sure. squelch button squelch got button. rid of the noise? Yeah. So we've got the, the Fed used to get rid of the noise in the market because they were just there and there was the Fed put. But, but look, we've had uh, all those moves last year. I'll just say this year we had a 10% move higher. We had a 9% move lower. We're now almost 6.5% off that intraday low on the S&P. The Nasdaq's up almost 11% on that intraday uh, and the lows of the SVB crisis. So there's a bull market in your, bell mar in your bear market. And I think that's part of the story here. We we've seen that also the buy the dip mentality. Where we're going to see new lows? It, well, I, I, I think the market has to price in earnings contraction. I think the market has to price in credit uh, widening. I think the market has to price liquidity dynamics. But as we've said for a long time, I think on the show collectively, this is a cycle that does not play out overnight. And I think there are many phases of a bull market that we're going to go through. But there have been many phases to trade from the long side. And the market right now, the bears should say appropriately, the fact that this buy the dip mentality is in this market is something that probably should scare people. You know what is pricing in all those things that you said, the S&P, 
you in the NASDAQ should be the Russell 2000 small caps. They're flat on the quarter. And I think that's really notable here. When you think about all those things that you just mentioned about, like, uh, you know, the cost of money and access to credit and all those sorts of things that, that could lead to a slowdown in our economy at some point this year, the Russell 2000 is telling you a, a little bit that that is, is very much on their bingo card if you invest in small caps. And so when well, I. It, it also has a lot of banks in the Russell. Sure. And, you know, and they're down sharply. Yeah. And March. so does the S&P. I, I, I mean, what, what, what I'm saying is, is like, you know, a, a lot of the stocks in the NASDAQ have exposure to the financial sector. Right. And so when I look at the NASDAQ and I look at, OK, NVIDIA up 87 percent, I look Apple up 25 percent. I look Microsoft up nearly 20 percent, Amazon up nearly 20 percent, Meta up 75 percent. That's not particularly sustainable. And that's not suggesting that there's any fear in the market. But when I look at what's going on in regional banks, I look at what's going on in the XLF, I look at what's going on in the Russell 2000, there is fear being priced in there. And I'll tell you where there's fear being priced in is that move index. I just saw Michael Santoli talking about the spread between the VIX and the move, which is, uh, you know, uh, measuring the volatility in the Treasury market. So to me, I think that that stuff is a bit of a mirage. It doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. It's not sustainable. Lots, lots more volatility in the bond market than the equity market is the bottom line. So, Guy, I mean, you could you can make an argument that when it comes to what's working now, it's safe tech. Mm -hmm. It's better balance sheet tech. The ARK Innovation Fund went down today. It's down for the month of March. This is not like all tech. This Tim's been on this. As long as the Nasdaq, those stocks specifically continue to grind higher, it's very hard for the broader market to go down. That's playing out right before our very eyes. There is perceived safety in those names, which I totally get. Their balance sheets are juggernauts. But you know what? Very right before our very eyes, a lot of those stocks have gotten expensive again. Microsoft just got expensive again. I know Apple's the greatest company in the history of mankind. It's expensive in this environment. There are a lot of things that are, don't make sense to me. And below the surface, Dan mentioned the move index. This is a 15-year level. Last time we saw the move index over the VIX at these levels was in 0809. Not making that comparison, just pointing out the last time it happened. The gold market is telling a story. Dollar is now backing up. That's telling a story. So there are a lot of things to be concerned about, not least of which the lag effect of nine months of Fed rate hikes to me hasn't kicked in yet at all. So you're not buying it. Are you, Karen? I'm always long. So yeah. I guess you would, you know, I always say, am I adding? No, I haven't really added. I bought a little bit of URI, which got crushed in the last month. It went from a high, I think it's maybe down, I don't know, $90, which seemed overdone to me. Um, but I, I don't know what to make of this action post the SVB crisis, because it's a pretty big crisis, I think, because of the potential for contagion. And um, so I'm surprised that the market has come back as well as it has. I'm really interested to see what what do banks have to say? What does J.P. Morgan have to say about this? What do they think is happening in the economy? What's happening in lending? That's going to be really important. What's happening in credit, which has it hasn't been the problem. It's only been duration risk. And then what are they doing with all the deposits? And what's going to happen to the regional banks? What's the business model going I, forward? It's I, hard to know. Yeah, and I think they need to talk about the loan market, too, because yes, if you think yes, about the floating rate yeah. note market, it's a trillion dollar market that, that actually will also feed through to earnings. And I mean downward on earnings because the cost of capital, everybody says, well, a lot of these guys locked in at low rates. There's there's never been a bigger chunk of debt out there that's been floating rate. And I think it's going to feed through to a lot of corporate balance sheets. But but no, credit's been fine and credit's fine largely until you have a recession. So it's why everybody wanted this to play out very quickly. And, and again, you've got the Nasdaq that's actually in a bull market in the middle of a bear market. I think 
what the market is telling you, and, and there's a lot written on this, but basically that we're going to have slower GDP growth. Maybe we'll get a little bit higher unemployment, but then the Fed will swoop yes. back in mm-hmm. right. very decisively, cut rates, late. and right. glide us into the soft land. They're going to be late. Yeah. But you know what's different? This time, that's but a lot fine. has that's, to go right if that, I well, mean, that's their they're not playbook. talking about cutting. That's a playbook they've used for a long time. The difference in this playbook cycle is inflation is still a problem. Right. And if they go down that road again, if you can start to see it around the surface, inflation which was trending the right way for them, will start trending the other way in a very quick matter of time. And they can't fight both those dragons at once, in my opinion. You, you, you're not of the view that this whole banking crisis and subsequent lending crunch we're all about to see is very disinflationary. It's interesting. I mean, you got inflation in all the wrong places, and you got deflationary forces in other places as well. And they're trying to combat both. The inflation problem they're not winning, the real inflation problem. Things are working in their benefit, things are working for them, but that's not what they need to work for them. I mean, I'll use the word, they're screwed. The Fed. Absolutely. Except for that, if you think about where the market is right now going into, a, I realize we have a long wait until a May meeting and it's selling May go away and there's a lot of bad things that happen in May. But, but right but now, a good if the Fed had to go, the Fed would go another 25 here. The Fed's not done. And, and if anything, the Fed is always, they were late getting here. They're going to be late on the way out the door. So anybody the market's giving it a 40% chance of a rate hike next in May. And then thinks the cuts begin in June, July. Yeah, no way. The cuts begin. No way. No, uh, that's surprising to me that there's not a pause in there. Fed funds are saying why raise? You know, no way. Because they never quite get it right, is, I guess, <laughs> the point. So investors may want to pull the plug on the big tech trade. Our next guest says the bubble in the sector will start deflating again in Q2. Dan Suzuki is the deputy chief investment officer at Richard Bernstein Advisors. The firm made its tech bubble call almost two years ago. Dan, that, then it popped and you guys were looking smart. And now what do you think is happening? <laughs> Not so smart anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, this is to be expected. I mean, if you go back to the last tech bubble we had, it took, you had 16 different double-digit rallies over that two-and-a-half-year period while the NASDAQ was falling over 80%. This is to be expected. People don't give up the stuff that they've known to come and love that dominates their portfolios, where you're sitting on tons of capital gains still. So I think th- they're going to fight that. And I think, I think Tim said this, that, you know, the fact that people want to just go back and own the stuff that's worked over the last cycle tells you a lot where, about where sentiment is. People don't want to go... Uh, where the future leadership is going to be, which is not where the bubble is. That bubble is still deflating. And when you say bubble, you're putting the mega caps in there too? NVIDIA, oh, absolutely. Apple, all the leaders. Yeah, I, I'd say if, you know, the leadership of the last 10 years was really driven by U.S. large cap growth, U.S. mega cap growth, however you want to define it, innovation technology, all that stuff is still, um, you know, includes the mega caps for sure. So if, if that's the old where you wanted to be, what's the new where you want to be? Where's the puck going? Yeah, well, if we're right and there is there's a bubble that's still deflating, I mean, if you just think about what a bubble is, it's a giant vacuum for capital. So you get this massive misallocation of capital into one area of the market. So where's the big opportunity where capital is scarce, which is pretty much everything else. If you take out those three sectors in the U.S. that are dominated by technology, I think everything is fair game. Probably not defensives probably aren't going to be the leadership of the next cycle, but everything else. So that's international, that's small cap, that's value, that's pro-inflation assets. No one wants to own that stuff because it's underperformed for a decade or two. That's why it's so cheap and that's where the opportunity is. I think you've got a story to tell around rates peaking, the dollar possibly peaking. So are there places for investors to chase those chases may be the wrong word. I'm actually saying invest in companies that are generating free cash flow, that are growing their payout ratios in an environment where I, I don't see how the dollar can move significantly higher. And I, I'd argue that's an 11-year 
bull market in the dollar. Rates, I don't think, can go a lot higher. I mean, this is a backdrop for some companies to perform. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. I think you're right here. You really have to separate the next five to 10 days, next five to 10 months, next five to 10 years. In the next five to 10 days, I mean, what's working is probably going to continue to work. I mean, there's probably some room for, you know, a rally and this stuff that's beaten down. You know, five to 10 months, I really, I think the, the key story is that growth is slowing. Profit, you know, we're going to go into earnings season. This earnings season is probably going to be worse than last earnings season. So the companies that are most sensitive to that slowing growth, they're going to, they're going to probably get hurt by that at some point. But next five to 10 years, that's the stuff I was talking about, where the big opportunities for the long term. So it depends on what your time horizon. It's very different what you want to own. And I think along the way, there's attractive companies that are going to benefit from each one of those dynamics. Dan, for a lot of these tech companies, credit's the lifeblood of what they do. And mm-hmm. I've said it. I don't know. I'm not saying I'm right. But rates could go back to zero. But bank credit lending is going to be tighter than it was before, regardless of where interest rates are. How does that play into the tech story? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, if you think about the area of the market that was the biggest beneficiary of record liquidity, it's those stocks that you're talking about. So as that liquidity goes away, and I agree, if if the reason that rates go to zero is because growth is falling off a cliff, then at that point, where's the liquidity going to be? It's not going to be there, right? So I, I 100% agree, and there are going to be companies that not only get hit on the liquidity side, but get hit on the earnings side. People think that they're, they're impervious to slowing growth. Look at what their earnings growth is now, and we haven't even really seen the major slowdown in the economy yet. So I think you know, people always underestimate the cyclicality of tech, especially post-pandemic, and I think they'll be surprised again. Dan Suzuki, thank you very much Thanks, guys. for joining us from Bernstein. So let's trade this. Karen, mm-hmm. <laughs> big cap tech. A lot of people own this stuff I and do. a lot of people are loading up. You, you have I, exposure. Yeah, I have a lot of exposure. Meta is my biggest position. Alphabet was my biggest going in. Meta just did much better. I own Microsoft. I own Apple. Microsoft and Apple, as Guy was talking about, are the most expensive. I'm the least comfortable with them. Obviously, Meta's up huge, but... Meta never should have been at $90. I don't know where it was going. I, that was maybe the end of last year. Mark Mahaney year. said it's still his cheapest in his coverage space. It even is after very this cheap. 80% rally this right. year. And even, right, even with that rally, it never should have been there. So if you never saw that part of the chart, you wouldn't think, wow, Meta is really out over its skis, particularly when you compare it to Microsoft or, uh, I mean, even Amazon, which has rallied a little, not a lot. I own that as well. I just think these cash hoards in Excuse an me? environment... What? Hordes? The D. The D. (laughs) These cash hordes are very valuable. And if you think about, you know, um, the potential for competition to not be able to come to market because it's expensive and money is very, it's not to be had. So I'm comfortable in this space, particularly a meta and and an alphabet. Let's turn now to the Fed, just releasing its latest balance sheet data. We're trying to figure out how much banks are tapping the lending window, just how much financial stress is out there in the banking system. Steve Leisman has the results. Steve. Yeah, some easing, Sarah. I mean, I, the, the data show that there's still a, a high level of, of, of takedown at the window, but it's less than it was. The Fed's balance sheet overall declining by $28 billion to $8.67 trillion. This is reserve credit outstanding. And that's after two weeks of we're increased by $400 billion. So here's how we got here. Discount window loans did decline by $22 billion, but $88 billion still a big number to be taken down from the window. It's usually zero. And there's that new bank term funding program up by about $11 billion to $64 billion. This is where you can take your uh, paper and have it financed at par. Uh, at a one-year swap rate. And loans to the Bridge Bank, that's financing the uh, uh, the, the uh, shutdown of, of um, 
uh, Signature and si Silicon Valley Bank. It looks like that stopped rising as fast as it was 180 billion uh, right now. It's about where it was uh, 300 million above where it was last week. So uh, it looks like we finally got there. And foreign central bank repo. Uh, that was $60 billion last week. It's still $55 billion right now. So some central bank, we don't know which one, uh, took advantage of the repo opportunity at the central at the Federal Reserve. So, Sarah, I think the story is that the uh, anxiety level still is high. There's still a need for funding at the window for liquidity purposes. Banks could just be being cautious there and getting their liquidity in a row for some potential problems they have. It could indicate existing problems, but it does comport with what we're hearing from Fed officials that things are more stable than they certainly were the last couple of weeks. Sarah? Yeah, I guess we just want to see it keep moving in that direction. Steve, thank you. Steve Leisman yeah, with the sure. la latest balance sheet data. Guy, indicating that there is some stress and there is some need out there still in the banking system. I know the financials have had a pretty solid run, which is calming everybody down mm -hmm. a little bit, but I don't know. Are there still more skeletons in that closet? I, I, I think so. I mean, it's, I believe if you watch the way some of these banks have been trading over the last couple of weeks, I mean, again, I don't want to name names here because I don't want to create anything, but they're not trading particularly well in the wake of what was a bit of a lifeline. You mean the regionals? Absolutely, yeah. a few weeks ago. So you got to believe, and I've said it, I think this ends with some sort of take under, having no idea. And again, the other question that people are going to ask themselves is, has QT ended and are we back on QE? Because if we're back on the QE circuit, then the market's going to take off from here. I think Steve would submit, and I'm not bringing him back, that no, this is temporary. Kinda They're going to continue with QT. But that's the rub right now. Well, here, they are Sarah. continuing with QT. Uh, and their oh, balance sheet see. is growing with loans that yeah, will yeah, get paid that's... back, but they're not trying to ease or inject mm -hmm. liquidity into the system. Banks that's aren't just trading great. I mean, the KRE is trading at the lows. I mean, we've had two weeks to digest the dynamics here. And if you look at that index, there's nothing about it that says go in and buy it. And, and, and I, you know, some people say if it's consolidated There might not be here, anything going and buy uh, it, but th we know there are going to be pressures on earnings. We know there's going to be regulation. We know there's gonna, they're going to try to accumulate liquidity, right, and not l lend. But is there going to be another blow-up? I think that's the bigger I, that's question. What, that, that's what I'm saying in the chart. I think. Are those the only two or three that had well, such duration mismatches? It seems unlikely. We still don't know the fate of First Republic, which is a very high-profile one. I think that'll be... But they have liquidity now is the difference. Well, yeah, but the equities, the equities are zero. I mean, like, the, the stock goes down every day. It was down 4% today. And, and it's not just those Financials names. did close red today. Yeah, Bank of America is down 25% since mid-February. Why is Bank of America, why is so, because banks answer that to me? I mean, why? why because why? banks do this, though. I mean, banks tend to trade down during, well, they, they traded down in, in August of 2020 when the rest of the stock market was going off to the races. Banks waited six months to rally because people were worried about credit uh, it, revisions and with, you know, dynamics that they hadn't yet seen. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm agreeing with you in saying that I don't think this is a great place to go buy banks. I'm telling you, it doesn't surprise me that Bank of America, I don't think they should be indicted based upon where they have traded, whereas I think regionals, uh, it's a different No, story. I know, but I'm just saying that on a market cap term and exposure term, I mean, this this bank, you put all the, the regionals together and, yeah. you know what I mean? So, and I'll just say this, if you look at the options market, um, Bank of America, they're implying dividend cuts. And so, like, what, what, so when you think about this, you know, like, one of the big stories coming out of COVID, coming out of the financial crisis, is always the cash return that these banks, when they can't sure. do it, and they're in the doghouse. So I'm just throwing that out there, yeah. and we're going to have a whole heck of a lot of, I mean, they're the first ones to report earnings in a couple of weeks here. And so I, I wouldn't be so complacent into Q1 earnings right now. First Republic down 90% month to date. Unbelievable. We've got a news alert now on Virgin Orbit. Morgan Brennan with the details. Morgan. 
Hi, Sarah. Well, Virgin Orbit has failed to secure funding and it will cease operations. It is poised to lay off about 85 percent of its workforce. Uh, the company in a filing that hit the tape just a few moments ago saying that it has announced a workforce reduction of approximately 675 employees, constituting approximately 85 percent of that workforce to reduce expenses in light of Virgin Orbit's inability to secure meaningful funding. This, of course, coming uh, after the company had been looking to secure a sale or secure an investor, someone or something to inject a lifeline into this small launch company that has been majority owned and funded by Sir Richard Branson through Virgin Group. Um, it comes on the heels of a deal that almost happened last week and then was scuttled uh, over the weekend and after a failed mission back earlier in the year in January. Virgin Orbit has been under pressure. I'm not even going to talk about the stock here because it's a penny stock. But as you can imagine, those shares are plunging on this news. And we have a full write-up on CNBC.com. Back over to you. Yeah, I mean, it was a nearly $1.5 billion company at the, at the peak. Morgan, thank you very much. Morgan Brennan. What a disaster. When we come back, is there more pain ahead for Charles Schwab? One analyst seeing a lot more trouble for the broker. Details straight ahead. And cashing in on Kohl's, the new CEO, starting his job with a big bet on his own company. Should you follow his lead? We're going to look for some answers when Fast Money comes right back. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Schwab shares plunging nearly 5% today after Morgan Stanley downgrades the brokerage to equal weight from overweight, slashing its price target 32% to $68. The analyst saying client outflows will continue to mount with no turnaround in sight. The stock is down 32% just this month in the wake of the Silicon Valley bank crisis. Everyone was looking at Schwab first, Dan, and then Walt Bettinger came on with me a few weeks ago and seemed to calm things down. What is this downgrade about? Well, it's about earnings. And so it's kind of like what we were just talking about with all the banks, further regulation, right? And some of the dynamics that have come from, you know, their, um, you know, the, the quick rise in interest rates, how a lot of these banks make money, how much of those assets um, are insured, right, by FDIC, the way that they're moving money from one account to another. Um, and, and really, it is about net interest margins, right? So a lot of the cash that are sitting there is not being deployed. And a Schwab account is at a very low interest, um, you know, bearing count. And so when you think about the, the mismatch, right, and the ability for people to move those to much higher yielding money market 
funds. That's what's gone on here, right? And so they earn the money on the other side of it, right? Because they're, they have those sweep situations. So this analyst today who downgraded the stock, he cut their earnings estimates for this year by 30% and by next year for 30%. This is a $100 billion market cap company. Guys, honestly, and gals, I just can't remember the last time we have seen that sort of earnings cut for a company this size, not in the throes of a pandemic, in the throes of a financial crisis, that sort of thing. So again, it goes back to wires, and this stock can't get out of its own way. And here's the other point. TD, because you know they bought TD, they are the largest shareholder at 10%. Charles Schwab, you know, the guy, the namesake, he owns about 6%. So you think about how much of the holdings of this thing is locked up with insiders. There is real money accounts selling this stock. By the way, dramatic use of guys and gals. Uh, The the one thing I'd say (laughs) about the the funding dynamic, so higher interest uh, outflow, et cetera, where were they, though, a year ago? They weren't making a lot of money on deposits a year ago. I think the bigger issue is, at least the Morgan Stanley note says $22 billion and unrealized losses on the books. That, when you have a run on funding, is the problem to me. Not, right. the, not the, the net interest income from you know, getting free deposits, basically, and investing with 25 bips. But they, they do not have, 80% of their funds are below the $250,000 insured. They also are not seeing deposit flight in a way that any of these regional banks were. And it's, it's a whole different model, isn't it? It's, it's a yes. brokerage. And if yes, they have they, to fund they withdrawals, have a bank they have a problem. There. Right. I mean, if you've got if you've got unrealized losses and you have to fund withdrawals, you've got a problem. I I agree that their clients are very different, stickier, et cetera. Let's take it one more direction here. So everybody see they hear Morgan Stanley downgrades to equal weight. Oh, my God. Catastrophic took numbers down 30 percent. Their price target on the stock is $68 with an equal weight, which is 30% higher where the stock is trading That's now, which lends, leads one to believe that if they're overweight in other stocks, they think they're going up 50%. So great call by Morgan Stanley. What's the thesis behind that price target? That's what I have trouble with. Yeah, it's weird. Which yeah. is weird. Let me just add one thing, though. I couldn't help but be just a little thinking, well, maybe it's a little bit, I don't know, Morgan Stanley does own E-Trade now, and who might be the beneficiary of deposits mm. leaving Schwab. Oh, that, wow. that's a very wow. um, conspiratorial way of looking a little bit. at it. A little bit. No, you, can, I, can, I, hey, can I make Sneaky. one point about the FDIC and the 80% sure. that are underneath that? Schwab is one of the biggest custodians for like RAAs like, and that yeah. sort of thing. So if you are running an independent RAA and they are your custodian and you have, let's say, hundreds of millions of dollars of your client funds, if you started to get a sense that there might be some issues, that sort of organization might pull their money and put it somewhere else. And that is very reminiscent of what went on in 08 when, when, when Bear Stearns had a lot of issues that didn't have to do. They had a run on that bank. Their institutional clients stopped being prime, stopped using them as prime brokerage. And that was the beginning of the end. And that's also what happened when other banks, as we got further into 08, when they weren't accepting the other banks collateral, that sort of thing. So to me, there are some potential similarities going forward. No, they're probably doing a lot of work, working the phones on talking to those advisors. All right. There's still a lot more fast money to come. Here's what is coming up next on the show. Cole's Relationship Goals, the new CEO showing his love with a big stock purchase. The $2 million show of faith ahead. Plus, continued contagion from the bank crisis. How insurance companies could get caught up in the fallout. Those details ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Kohl's surging almost 4% today. CEO Tom Kinsbury, who took over the top spot last month, disclosed he bought more than 92,000 shares for a total price of over $2 million. He now holds nearly 230,000 shares, though much of that is uninvested restricted stock. Karen, you follow him in? No, I haven't. I mean, you know, I find the name a little bit toxic. It's not crazy expensive here. So um, I can see why, why someone would want to buy it. I can actually see why he would want to buy it. Good for him. I like to see CEOs really put their money where their mouth is. For example, I know John Idle uh, bought almost $10 million worth of Capri 10 days ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, um, By the way, the Schwab CEO, Dan, also was oh, yes. buying stocks. That was an excellent that interview. Because <laughs> when he said he bought 50,000 shares. Like, yeah, that was, that was really good. So... I, I don't love the name. I'd rather be in Tim's Macy's probably than Kohl's. The Got disaster it. last year. And you really ne- did you ever own it through any of this? I did. When it was going to get bought? I did. Yes, I did. And, it was, and I was furious with the board. I thought they did a horrific job. Very misleading when they, when they lost their chief merchandise officer, chief officer. Never, never told and anyone until the after the vote. Yeah. Yeah. That was a whole... That was was a whole long saga. Yes, it was. (laughs) When we come back, could insurance stocks be the next victim of the banking crisis? How the financial fallout is impacting that group in particular, straight ahead. And options traders eyeing gold for a move, how they are playing the metal, straight ahead. Fast Money, back in two. Welcome back. The banking crisis taking a toll on yet another industry, insurers. Lincoln National getting hit the hardest, and names like AIG and MetLife falling as much as 20% this past month. Our Contessa Brewer covers the sector. She joins us here on set. And, and we were talking earlier, we haven't really focused enough on this, given the magnitude of some of these declines. It's also very rare to see insurance companies moving this dramatically. It's been very volatile, but especially the life insurers have watched their shares plummet. Corbridge Financial down 22% this month, spun off from AIG although it still owns most of the company. MetLife and Prudential, as you mentioned, down about the same. Bright House down 25%. The worst hit, Lincoln National down 30%. Now, Lincoln National specifically held $89 million of Silicon Valley Bank's unsecured debt, or about a percent of Lincoln's total surplus at the end of last year. According to S&P Global, insurers' total investment in these banks that Moody's downgraded is less than $5 billion dollars when the industry holds, just putting this into context, trillions in assets and cash, insurers could also take a hit from these banks by paying out on DNO policies or directors and officers coverage. Shareholders, of course, have already filed a lawsuit against SVB claiming mismanagement by its directors and officers. If there were to be a jury award or a settlement, insurance would pay. Among the biggest providers of this kind of insurance, Chubb, Berkshire, Hathaway, AIG, and Travelers, SVB has, we're told, $180 million in coverage. That's according to an industry trade publication, The Insurer. 
It is a long tail challenge for the insurance industry. But the immediate challenge here, Sarah, remains macro issues like inflation and, of course, this rolling credit crisis, which they just have to keep tabs on. Contessa, thank you for laying that out. So, Guy, is this a, is this a buying opportunity or I don't no know, worry but I, for this you know, sector? Sometimes it's a selling opportunity. We always have, you know, at, at before opportunity, we typically put buying. Sometimes it is a selling opportunity. Prudential's gone from $99 at the beginning of this month to $82 now, lowest we've seen in two years. These are typically pretty stable companies. They don't move like this. And you think about the risk they have in the bond market. Well, we talked about the bond moves we've been seeing. And then you think about some of the balance sheet stuff. I mean, this is a dangerous place. I'm, gra- I'm glad Contessa is shining a light because I think more and more people are come around. Wait a second. Maybe the insurers are sort of the next leg of this entire thing. Well, let's talk more about it. Let's zero in on the life insurance space. Bring in Ryan Kruger. He's a life insurance analyst at KBW, a steeple company. Ryan, it's great to have you. Is this a danger for the sector? Thanks, Sarah. The direct impact of the banking crisis on life insurers is pretty limited. There, but there could be some knock-on effects over time, particularly around credit, as Contessa mentioned. In terms of the direct impacts, it's really isolated to bond ownership of the troubled banks, but that only equals 0.3% of equity for public life insurers, and no company is greater than 1%. You know, I'd point out that liquidity risk is a critical difference between banks and life insurers. We view a bank run scenario on life insurers as highly unlikely. Most life insurance liabilities are sticky and long duration, Many of the liabilities cannot be surrendered or have structural mm. protections like surrender, surrender penalties. And lastly, life insurers are liability-driven investors, and they own assets specifically to match the duration of their liabilities. Ryan, hang on, if you would, for us, because we do want to get to some breaking news that we are just getting in on former President Donald Trump. Eamon Javers with the details. Amen. Sarah, two sources familiar with the situation tell NBC News uh, that Trump's attorneys have been notified that he has been indicted. Uh, This would be a historic first for a former U.S. president to be indicted in any kind of criminal matter. In this case, two sources are telling NBC News that that former President Donald Trump has been uh, indicted and his lawyers have been notified of that. We don't have any indication right now as to what the specific charges are here uh, that the former president has been indicted on. The New York Times is out with a report within the past couple of minutes saying uh, that the indictment remains under seal at this hour. We're trying to verify all that. We'll bring you as much detail on it uh, as we have. But all of this, as you know, Sarah, centers around an investigation into hush money payments uh, that the former uh, president's lawyer paid before the election campaign in 2016 or during the election campaign in 2016, before the election, uh, to Stormy Daniels, the adult film star, $130,000 in hush money uh, to indicate to Stormy Daniels that she should not reveal the details of an alleged affair. The former president has denied uh, that affair. He has denied that the hush money payment was in any way improper or illegal. Uh, And we're going to see now a titanic struggle in court as to whether or not this indictment is going to lead to a conviction of the president of the United States and remember the former president of the United States. And and remember, of course, that an indictment is just an allegation. Those allegations need to be proven in a court of law. Uh, The next steps here, Sarah, will be interesting for history because uh, what you could see for the first time ever is a former United States president uh, being arraigned uh, in a court in Manhattan, being fingerprinted and photographed uh, in the bowels of a courthouse uh, alongside his Secret Service 
detail, which will be there to protect him uh, even as he's going through this legal process. So we're entering uh, a period in American history that we haven't seen before, Sarah, and we're going to get more information on exactly what these charges are, the status uh, of when this might be unsealed and when we might learn more about what exactly this case is. But you can imagine that this will set off a titanic legal battle and a titanic political battle now as the former president, Donald Trump, is running for president again in 2024, now running under indictment, Sarah. Back over I you. can just imagine the political fallout. So, Eamon, we, we will find out the charges, the specific charges that will yeah, get publicized? It's not clear. Uh, they will have to publicize those at some point. Typically, a uh, grand jury will uh, indict under seal, and at some point that seal will be removed and we'll see the charges will land on the docket. We'll all be able to see them and determine you know, what kind of a case this is. Uh, the, the DA here has been uh, playing his cards a little bit close to the vest in the, in the sense of we don't know exactly what he has. We don't know if this is centered specifically around the payment to Stormy Daniels. The, the facts around that have been known for some, some years now, Sarah. The other question is you know, whether there are payments to other women here. There was a, a former Playboy Playmate uh, who received a payment. There's a question about whether that's involved here. Uh, we just simply don't know at this hour the full extent of the case here that the DA has put together against the former president. But he is going to have to unseal that. and He will have to make that case in, in public. It is not necessarily a slam dunk case. You think back to the precedent here, uh, you know, John Edwards, the former Democratic candidate for president, uh, faced similar allegation of political hush money uh, and ended up walking away from that case. Uh, the jury was not able or the, the prosecution was not able to prove its case uh, in that situation involving a similar set of circumstances around hush money to cover up an alleged affair in a political context. In this case, you would be looking at potential questions around falsification of business records, questions around the idea of whether this was an improper campaign contribution by somebody uh, or an expenditure by somebody, including the former president himself, uh, that was not handled according to campaign law. A lot of questions around what the actual charges uh, will yeah. be here, and that'll make all the difference. And he will have to come to New York to face them, correct? He would have to come to New York. He would have to be in a courthouse in New York. Yeah. He would have to be fingerprinted and photographed. There will be a mugshot of the former president. These are all things we've never seen before in American history, Sarah. So uh, it, it's going to be something to see that. And of course, for the Secret Service, you can imagine how mind-bending that is to have a Secret Service protectee uh, taken even temporarily into a courthouse uh, to yeah. be photographed and fingerprinted and all the procedures that go along with that process. Yeah, a lot of security. Eamon, thank you. Keep us posted you as you learn more. Uh, thanks for all the information. Eamon Javers in Washington. Again, the news, a grand jury. We can report voting to indict former President Donald Trump. We're going to talk more insurance and get some names when Fast Money is back in just two minutes. Let's talk more insurance. Ryan Kruger with us, life insurance analyst at KBW, a steeple company. We had to cut you off, Ryan, because of the breaking news. But, but definitely wanted to get your take on the risk factors here for this group. You said it's not a huge exposure level. So do you see an opportunity, a buying opportunity in some of these stocks? Look, we were more um, constructive on the group here after the sell-off, but we do think it will remain choppy. We view credit risk as the biggest risk from here. Um, we were, there were already recessionary concerns ahead of these bank issues and reduced lending from banks could accelerate economic weaknesses and, and eventual credit losses. The life industry does have a relatively good track record in credit, but and they can generally absorb credit losses with existing excess capital and free cash flow, but typically do have to 
pullback and share repurchase to fund that. So, you know, our top picks here are are Equitable, Unum, and RGA. All three companies have strong capital positions, and we'd characterize them as as a bit more defensive in some ways. Um, and it, but you know, I do think from here it'll probably be a choppy environment for the life life insurance in industry, um, particularly driven by macro concerns. Ryan, it's Karen. Is there somewhat of a uh, commercial real estate fear there? How big is that? And how much do you think that has weighed on this sector, if at all? I would guess that it has. It's been a significant topic with investors. It's probably the top concern today. Commercial mortgages in total are about 14% of assets for the life insurance industry. Office is the primary concern, and that's about a quarter of that, which is about 3% of assets and 30% of equity. The industry has an extremely strong track record. They've had almost zero losses in commercial mortgage loans for the last 25 years, and they tend to be pretty conservative lenders with low leverage. That said, this is a, a unprecedented shift in the work environment, and we do think some level of losses in office commercial real estate are likely, but we also think it will play out pretty slowly over time because life insurers tend to have very long duration maturities, and so we think it will play out gradually as the loans come to refinance states. Ryan Kruger, Ryan, thank you very much. Life insurance analyst at KBW highlighting some of the risks there for those stocks down double digits after the banking problems. Meantime, gold ticking higher today on pace for its best month since July 2020. Precious metal trying to close above the 2000 mark for the first time in over a year. And options traders are betting that's exactly where it's heading. Mike Coe with the action. Mike. Yeah, so we saw a bullish flow basically across the complex. I'm talking about the miners, single stocks, the ETFs, and of course, GLD, which is the gold ETF, we saw calls outpacing puts by a little over two to one. And the busiest contract were the April 14th weekly 190 strike calls. We saw about 36,500 of those trading for just under 90 cents a contract. Buyers of those calls are betting that GLD can retest those levels that we saw in March of last year. And then, of course, going back to the highs that we saw back in 2020. Thanks, Mike. Guy, you're you're kind of a gold guy, right? I think Tim is as well. Yeah, and listen, if you look central gold bank's bo- Auric Goldfinger, if you recall. I, I, that's I why mean, I brought it up. That, and you did yeah, a great yeah, job, which you. is one of my favorite Bond movies, by the way. It's yours as well. Sorry, Sarah. Yeah. I mean, re- central banks bought in record amounts last year, uh, I think $70 billion worth of gold. They continue to buy gold this year. It hasn't manifested in the price. They are hedging, wait for it, their own ineptitude. And I think gold continues to go higher from here. It's just because the dollar's down. I, I agree. I, look, I, well, I, I think the correlation here is very high. I also think gold is commodity as well. Uh, you see long cycle moves. Gold has taken two or three runs at 2000. It's time. Um, and if you think about it, if we are in a stagflation world where a dollar that's peaked, this is what you wait for. The gold miners ETF is basically a three times ETF gold without the time decay. In other words, really, you get you get the bait of two and a half times without worrying about one of these three times uh, ETFs, which are, are really dangerous to own over the long term. Got it. For more options action, you can be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, better together. Could an Apple-Disney merger be a match made in heaven? Details next. And don't miss Heyman Capital founders Kyle Bass tonight on Last Call with Brian Sullivan. That interview, 7 p.m. Eastern. More Fast Money in two minutes.
To close out Women's Heritage Month, join us for a special CNBC Pro Talk tomorrow, 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Women and Wealth with Jenny Harrington, Liz Young, Bryn Talkington. Register at CNBCEvents.com for that virtual event. It's going to be a good one. Ta- turning now to a magical merger. Needham's Laura Martin making a wish that Disney and Apple could couple up. In a new note, she writes, quote, we believe that great content and strong, dis- a strong distribution footprint are complementary networks. That is, both are worth more if they have the other. Is she right, Karen? Well, mathematically, I see how she could be right, right? She's talking about Apple doing it as a stock-for-stock deal, given how expensive their stock is, that it could be they're not using their cash. They still have their cash hoard. They get all this content. But Apple has never done anything remotely. I think Beats was, was that their biggest acquisition? Yeah, a few billion. Yeah, a few billion. So this is obviously a whole other scale. I mean, it's interesting to think about, but I'm a bit skeptical. Is that I, what Iger's back to do? Just sell it? Sell it? I, if there's ever know. a guy to do the deal with. So, like so you know what's really interesting? If you go, um, you know, Iger did that deal um, with Pixar. And, right. and he bought it from Jobs. And Jobs didn't want to sell to Eisner, the, the, the guy before. And when Iger came in, he did the deal right away. And so I just think it's kind of interesting. It would be kind of a funny bookend to the whole thing. It's just not particularly likely because you'd have to have this $180 billion market cap. There'd have to be a fairly fat premium on this. And I don't think Apple thinks they need to do this. Like, they can build their own they don't content. Need to do it. Yeah. They don't need to do it. Well, they don't need to be a content machine. I mean, they've found their way into actually creating content, but I still think that they're finding uh, the engagement from media and how they bring it to you as being their way in so far. It's still fun to think about, I guess, strategically. This we talked about, I think, in the early days of Fast Money. We had conversations about Disney and Apple makes yeah. a lot of stuff. We talked about Disney and Netflix, Apple and Netflix. They're just rehashing things that we talked about a decade or so. I'm not suggesting she watched the show back then, but it, we have <laughs> talked now. about People, this. It just now. takes 10 years to catch up with yeah. the conversation. Well, that, that's very true. Here, Sarah, very so ahead of their time. Very ahead. Uh, up next, speaking of final trades, you won't want to miss them. It is time for final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim, what was that gas? I I got an unfortunate (laughs) sports update. It's been a a tough day in baseball. I learned that baseball. And in roto baseball. So, you know what? Go to a casino instead of doing this on your own. Las Vegas Sands. I think this is a recovery that's not. Trading? Investing? Well, a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. But I I, I think you actually have a recovery there that's not reliant on Macau, even though the numbers coming out of Macau today in terms of occupancy are fantastic. I was in Vegas earlier this week. It was very busy. Whoa. Yeah, what were you doing? Shop talk. It was a retail convention. Karen, I missed you. <laughs> nice. That but was I didn't get to gamble at all. Okay. I, w- I wanted to hit the roulette tables. I didn't have a chance. What are you choosing? Well, I am choosing United <laughs> Rentals. We mentioned before. I think the sell-off was overdone. I really like it. Dan? I think names like Walmart, you know, are starting to act a bit defensive here, and I think you want to be defensively positioned in what comes next. Guy. Sorry, I know you were watching. I mean, you see Judge Dial 9 earlier today? You were locked into that, right? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> That's typically well done. why I am yeah. 59 well minutes done. of the show. Let's have a home run. Home run. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Look at you. Dial 9. Uh, Do you have Valero. A Energy's okay. working here, Sarah. Come on. There you go. Thank you, everybody. Thank you Thanks for having for me, here. guys. Thank Great you. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. 
Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.